I'll tell you what, um, it is really interesting to come into a new community and to begin the process of what it means to make new friends and to meet all kinds of interesting new people. Um, one of the things that has become clear to me is, you know, that you guys have so many really gifted, Jesus-loving people here at Central. Uh, I was loving class this morning, and we had so many great uh, comments in the class, and uh, I loved the discussion was there. I thought Scott was doing a great job with class uh, in the group that I was in. We didn't mean to leave the 50s group out, but all the other classes were together this morning um, because we just had to combine some stuff because we got a lot of people out for camp, and we've got some people out for Fourth of July weekend and all that sort of thing. Scott was doing a great job, did a great job in class this morning. He got up. And he started doing communion today. And when he was talking about pausing the Netflix thing, I thought for sure he was going to say that he like skipped ahead to see how it was going to turn out. And I was like, oh no, he's a monster. <laughs> so I was really glad you didn't take it all the way there, that you're just like seeing how much of the movie was great. I, I thought that was, I, I was glad that you stopped there. It's important to understand what kind of community we're a part of. And I want to tell you this morning that the church of Jesus must be a community of truth telling. We have to be a community of truth telling. The early church understood that this was at the core of what it meant to be the people of Jesus. When the, all the early church documents, all the, the letters and the stories that the church um, shared and, and preserved in our scriptures, all of them indicate this. They all have a way of pointing to this. Of course, in the book of Ephesians, Paul speaks about, uh, in, in terms of what it will mean for the church to grow and mature, what it will it take for the church to do that? Well, he says we do that when we speak the truth in love to one another. That's in Ephesians chapter four, a little bit later in the chapter, he says, uh, he tells the people in the church that we have to put off all falsehood in the way that we speak to one another, the way that we speak to our neighbors. We have to be a people that knows how to tell the truth. In the book of Acts, the stories of the early church, there's this crazy story about two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who mislead the church. And because of their deception, they literally drop dead in church because they're confronted with whether or not they've, uh, they've done what they kind of led the church to believe that they had done in an act of generosity. And when they're confronted with that and they, they decide to double down on the lie, they literally fall down dead. And if that seems like a bizarre story to you, you and I are on the same page. I mean, it's kind of on the line. Does Peter kill them? <laughs> that story makes me feel all kinds of uncomfortable. You know why it's in there? Because the early church knew that telling the truth was a matter of life and death in the most literal way. James, in his approach to speaking the truth, says 
above all. Now, James has a lot to say about what it means to speak correctly, but also what it means to follow wisdom well. But James, in the, in the fifth chapter, as he's beginning to wrap up the book, James actually quotes Jesus directly. Now, that doesn't happen as much in, our, in the letters as I would suspect that it would. But James, in speaking to the people, says, Above all, my beloved, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Jesus himself said these words. James is quoting the words of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus, this is the fuller version, says this. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. No, no, anything more than this comes from the evil one. Jesus' community has to be a community of telling the truth. Now, we're not really a people who live in a world in a moment right now that places a lot of emphasis on oath giving. We're not a people that really relies if we really want to see uh, somebody, uh, if we want to make a real commitment to somebody, we don't want to see them just raise their hand and, and take an oath and use the Lord's name, use God's name and say, uh, uh, under, under the sight of God, I say this is true. We're a community now that lives, and if you want to, if, if, if your, your truth-telling, really, it ultimately needs to be backed by your bank account, if it's going to mean anything. There needs to be some kind of consequence that we can hold you to if we're really going to make a firm deal about something. It's not a handshake anymore. It's a sign on the dotted line, okay? And let us hold it by the courts whether or not you've defrauded us. And so much is broken in the way that we honor truth-telling in our world. So much is broken and shattered, and we live in an unbelievably trustless world where we can barely believe that anybody is telling us the truth. Well, how do we get there? We get there, first of all, because we come to realize at a very, very, very early age that words have power, that words can become a way of getting other people to do what we want. I um, have to confess that one of the things that was so uh, disorienting to me when I first became a parent is how 
easy it is to lie to your kids and how useful it is because we want to put off confrontations we want to put off problems we want to head off issues and so we learn to say to our kids hey let's do that in a little while or we'll go to that store next time or if you'll just listen to do and do what I want you to do then I'll follow that and I'll do this other thing that you do and I got to confess and I can do this because my kids aren't here this morning they're all at camp already I have to confess that sometimes I'm just putting them off sometimes I'm just trying to get them out of my face for a minute and it becomes real easy to use your words to manipulate somebody into doing what you want. And because parents learn that real quickly, kids learn that real quickly too. Almost all children go through phases where they learn to deceive and to lie. And before long, you have a moment as a parent where you're looking your kid in the face and you know good and well that they did exactly the thing that you're asking them about. And they know it too. And they just won't tell you that they did it. And they're trying to stretch how far they can use their words to control the situation. And of course, it's behavior that they learn from you. Words have power. Words have the ability. We, we humans have the ability to use our words in ways that can influence other people. And because we can use them to influence other people, we learn that we can use them to manipulate and to guide other people. We can use our words to get what we want. But because we live in a world in which that is so often used, that we use our words to do that so often, we very quickly come to the place where we hide behind words or we try to construct false sets of words so that we can then put even more pressure. Because we say, hey, and, and we, we learn to find, we, we learn to, that just saying what we want isn't going to be enough sometimes. And so we try to put another layer on top of our words, a promise or a little bit of deception, something to help our words get just a little bit more power over the other people. In Jesus' day, he lived in a day in which people would use a certain, set, certain sets of words to gain more power and leverage in situations. They would swear oaths. So that you had kind of a trump card in your arsenal of words. A set of words that nobody could doubt anymore. So yeah, everybody is hedging their words and everybody is fudging the truth just a little bit. But if it really comes to it and you really need to tell somebody something, then you really need them to believe it. Then you could hold up your hand and you could say, I swear before God that this is true 
And they had to believe you then. They had to believe that you were telling the truth. Now, we don't live in a world like that anymore. But because we don't live in that world of oath giving and oath taking, we live in a world in which it is very difficult to trust anybody. It has enormous consequences for us. Bell Hooks, writing about love in her book, All About Love, wrote that widespread cultural acceptance of lying is a primary reason why many of us will never truly experience being loved in the world. She goes on to write about how it hurts our capacity both to receive love from other people or to give love to other people because we become unable of both trusting what they say or saying something that can be trusted in return. And without trust, there can be no love. I find that to be very powerful. Beyond that, as a society, how much injustice is done hidden under a veil of deceit? And how much cynical propaganda is issued over our airwaves and into our phones where people construct incredibly deceitful stories in order to manipulate people into giving them more power in order to be able to have a lever by which they can get the things that they want. It is because words have power that we come to a place where we are twisting the truth and we find ourselves to be rather twisted inside. It is this cycle of truth denying, of deceit and manipulation that leaves us un unable to believe anybody around us. And then in return, we feel like we have to act a certain way to get the things that we want. Can't we see how broken that is? That we are playing this game where it doesn't feel like anybody is really telling and presenting the truth. And it makes us a little crazy. It makes us feel so, so vulnerable when we actually speak the truth. It makes us feel like we would be the only people doing it, like we're putting ourselves out there, like we are putting ourselves at risk. And when we do that, we find that we, we, we feel like we are walking naked into a room where everybody else is dressed like they're supposed to be. This is part of what it means not just for us to be individually twisted by deceit, but our whole community structure is. 
We live in communities filled with deceit. It makes us feel like it's not okay anymore to just be ourselves. But after all, the true thing that we're going to say about ourselves doesn't seem like it can match up to all the lies that everybody else is projecting. So we feel like these impossible standards are being raised higher and higher. And in order to meet those higher standards, we decide that we ourselves will put on just a little bit of mask ourselves. We'll project just a little bit of shading of the truth. And what happens is in order to fit into a twisted community, we find ourselves twisting ourselves into knots. Before long, nobody knows who is who anymore, and nobody knows whether or not they themselves are actually who they are portraying themselves to be. Most of the problems that we have with truthfulness in our world aren't really those kinds of things where people just tell out and outright lies, even though there's an astonishing amount of that out there too. It's more of those kinds of situations where people decide they're just going to shade the truth a little bit. They're going to just color it a little bit and hide behind this make-believe. But what does it mean for us all to make a commitment to live in a world like that? To live in a world where every bit of supposed truth is shaded and colored and twisted just a little bit. How much energy do we expend in trying to maintain those kinds of lies? Jesus, in his message here in the Sermon on the Mount, is trying to teach us what it means to untwist, to give us an alternative to living only by the lies to teaching us what it means to live as whole people. What I mean by that are people who are the same inside and out, who can authentically be themselves in the public space. (coughs) Jesus is saying here, there shouldn't just be certain moments where people see the real you. The real truthful thing that you're saying isn't just reserved for those moments where you are swearing an oath before the temple. You should allow the truth, the truth of what you say, indeed the truth of who you are, be evident so that what is on the outside can match what's on the inside. You should be able to be able to speak to somebody and they know because they've known you for however long. They know that when you say yes, you mean yes. And when you say no, you mean no. That when they, what they see on the outside has some coherence with what is on the inside. That you are a person of integrity, meaning that the front matches what's underneath. And I find this to be some of Jesus's most challenging teachings. To live as a person who on the outside matches what's going on on the inside. 
It's subtle how the world bends us away from this. And we have to keep fighting back over and over and over again. It's the easy, simple things, right, that we use to project. I was coming in this morning, as I was coming into class, Bill Lamb, met Bill Lamb. Glad, I'm really glad to look back there and see you're still awake, Bill. This is going to be really embarrassing if you were not at the moment, but also understandable. Bill and Nancy have been in Israel uh, and flew here from Tel Aviv, left here yes, yesterday morning, at, or left, left there yesterday morning, and we're traveling all through, all through the day, hopping through all the, um, pretty much every major city between here and there. Got here. Bill walks in. Of course, preacher meets him at the door. Hey, Bill, how you doing? And he looked at me and he said, well, you want the truth? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. And wanting and being able to receive and being able to speak the truth is part of the discipline of what it means for us to live in community together. This has to be a place where it's okay to show up and to say, I'm really tired today. Had a long week. Last week we had a ministry leaders meeting and we were talking about some of the things that make Central Central. And uh, I love that conversation. One of the things that came up several times is that Central is an, a place where it's okay to show up and be a hot mess, or to show up as a hot mess, okay? And I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I have felt that way even over the, I mean, we're moving, we're, we're just a hot mess, and I mean, let me be completely truthful, we're a hot mess even when we're not moving, okay? It'll keep going that way, right? But it's okay to be a place, this needs to be a place where it's okay to show up and to be who you are truly in that moment rest from the burden of having to always project being somebody that you really aren't. That's part of what it means for us to be people who are following Jesus together, is that in the togetherness of a community that can speak truth with each other, we also become a community that can receive the truthfulness from each other. That we can be a place that knows what it means to be able to take somebody in the vulnerable honesty of who they are and say, you are still received with grace and acceptance and with respect. You don't have to earn that by projecting some other all put together image of who you want to be. You can come as the person you are. Isn't that the kind of community you want to be a part of? I wish that was the kind of community our whole city was, but it has to start somewhere, doesn't it? It has to start somewhere and let it start among us. Let us be a place that welcomes wholeness inside and out people by allowing each other the space and grace to be who we really are. And then I would like to offer two other things as a, as a way of kind of 
becoming more of a people who are truth telling. That's the first thing, right? The first thing is if we want to be a community of truth telling, we got to be a community of truth hearing in a way that doesn't freak out. That's one of the things that I've noticed in my parenting journey is if I want my kids to tell the truth, if I want them not to lie, then I have to learn to like be able to hear the truth without freaking out on them all the time. Right? Because every time I freak out on my kids when they come and they say, hey, dad, I'm sorry, I just broke this. What am I teaching them? I'm teaching them not to tell me it happened. I'm teaching them to sweep that broken thing under the rug and pretend like you don't know anything about it. Because, I mean, there's four kids in the house. It could have been anybody, right? Got decent odds of getting away with it. But if I can learn to receive the truth with grace, and if I can learn to do that with not just things that got broken in the house, if I can learn to receive the truthfulness with grace with my kids about where they are and while they're feeling angry about something, or while they're feeling upset with me, then I'm making the space for us to be whole. I'm making the space for truth-telling to be part of my family. And we do the same thing in our family as a church. Whenever we make space for people to speak truthfully and to be honest and authentic and sincere, then we create the space for truth-telling, for a culture of truth-telling. Here's two other things, though. Two practices that I want you to think about is in terms of what it means to be a people who, who tell the truth. The first one is to learn to be a people who can resist the urge to manipulate each other. This is a very strong urge within all of us. It's the urge that says, I want to tell a different version of the truth so that other people will like me or do what I want them to do. And every time we give in to the urge to manipulate our brothers and sisters, we, um, we erode the possibility for truth-telling within our community. We need to be people who can, within the community, always resist the urge to manipulate. Let's be people that can settle on saying the truth. And in order to do that, here's the commitment that we have to say, or the, 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 the thing that we have to own up to. And that is, do we really believe that the truth is good enough in any particular situation? The urge to manipulate comes when we say, what is true in this situation isn't enough. And so I need to add to it. I need to give it something more. I need to give it some extra weight, okay? But I would love for us to be a community in which we value the truth so much that we can always say the truth is enough. Let the truth stand for what it is. Let, let what it is that you can say that can be honest and true, let that be enough, and don't feel like you have to make it more. Don't feel like you have to add more to it just to make it good enough. The truth is enough. And when we recognize that, then we can resist the urge to manipulate each other. And then the second thing that I want to say is this. Let's learn to be candid without being hurtful. What I mean by that 
is learning the art of speaking truthfully in such a way that we can communicate that we are still very much loving the person that we're talking about. Now, I want to say that this is something that has been, this principle that I'm, I'm talking about has been abused in some ways, right? Like because people say, look, I'm just telling you the truth because I love you. And they're saying in like the meanest way possible. That's not good enough, right? Like just because you say it's in love doesn't make it in love. Like you really have to think about what it means to speak in a way that it does not inflict harm and hurt onto the other person. Now, sometimes there are moments of confrontation where there's just no way around it. There's going to be some hurt involved. But when I am saying something that I know has to be hurtful to the other person, I have to double, triple, quadruple the amount of grace and love and honor that I'm showing to that person. And I've got to learn to speak it in such a way that they walk away really understanding the, deep, the depth of my love for that person. And if I can't do that, then I need to be real, real careful about saying things that can be hurtful. Okay? You know, there's a thing where I think because of this emphasis on truth-telling and in Paul's words about speaking the truth in love and what it means to have a space for rebuke and correction among us sometimes, I've noticed that sometimes there are people who take on a badge that I, they'll say it to themselves, I'm just the sort of person that tells it like it is. All right, now some of y'all, I can feel like you scrunching your toes up right now in your shoes going. I'm just the kind of person, I'm just going to tell it like it is. Anybody ever heard anybody say that? Anybody ever say that yourself? Okay. I'm just the kind of person that calls a spade a spade. I'm just telling the truth. And if I may be so bold, I find that sometimes when my brothers and sisters take on that identity, of being that kind of truth teller. They seem to have a lot more to say about the truth of other people than they do the truth about themselves. I'm just calling a spade a spade, but you never called yourself a spade. I'm just telling it like I see it. But I hadn't looked in a mirror in a long time. I'm just speaking the truth about somebody else. And I think you ought to be real careful about speaking the truth about somebody else if you're not willing to do some of the deep work that is seeing the truth about your own self. The deep work. 
deep, heart-searching work. Why is it that you feel compelled to speak the truth about your sister? Are you sure you're not saying that because it makes you look better? You sure you're not speaking that truth because it gives you an advantage and makes you look better before other people? You see, sometimes, though we're not a community of oath-telling, we still can be a community that can use an insistence on language about the truth as a tool of manipulation. And we should be careful that we do not manipulate ourselves by projecting that we are a people who are deeply honest, but only when it comes to other folks. Let us be a people who begin by being committed to telling the truth about ourselves. That are committed to speaking the truth of who we are. When I think about all this, Sandra today in, in class said that it's part of what Jesus is doing in this, in this text. One of the questions that Scott asked, I love this question, Scott said, is, is Jesus trying to make the law harder in the things that he's teaching? I said, no, no, no. What, what is it just Jesus is trying to do then? Sandra said, he's trying to help us take a deeper look at ourselves. And whether we're talking about adultery or lust and the things that are inside us there, or whether we're thinking about our truthfulness, Jesus is trying to help us from only thinking about the law as a set of external things. He's trying to drive us to an interior discipleship that says, what is really going on within me? And I think that's the real question for anybody that would be a truth teller. What is it that's really going on within me? And when I come to that place, and sometimes I find out what's going on within me, and it gives me so many reasons that I don't want to share that with anybody else. That's when the temptation comes hard to find ways of covering it and hiding and going back to the mask and going back to the shades of truth that become outright lies. That's why I need a group of people. I need a community. I need a church where truth-telling is valued so that I can say to you, I'm just a broken person who needs saving love Jesus. And I don't have everything figured out and I don't have everything put together and I'm not there all the time. And sometimes I'm a cauldron of, 
of anger or disappointment. Sometimes I, I, feel, I feel such grief and brokenness and things that I, I had hoped in the world and that didn't turn out like I wanted them to. And, and sometimes I don't know if, I, if, if next week is going to be the week that it all falls apart or not. Brennan Manning wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, and he says that the gospel of Jesus is not for those who have it all put together, but he uses this phrase. He says, it's for those unsteady disciples whose cheese is always falling off their cracker. And I read that and I felt it. Because sometimes I feel just as unsteady and broken as you do. Isn't that the truth? My church, isn't that the truth? Then let us be a place where we can tell it. And in the name of Jesus, let us be a people of truth.